0: Yeah. Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast and our monthly Behind the Lens series. I'm your host, Byron Pace, and it is the 13th of August, 2020. Just one day after the opening of the grass season in the UK, I hope everyone who is out had a fantastic day. Today we have not one, but three guests on the show. Editor-in-chief of Modern Huntsman, Tyler Sharp, joins me to speak with the guys at New World Cartography, Travis Folk and Tony Waters. As we hear the history behind the company, with origins anchored in science, and how they have kept the art of map-making alive in a world of digitization. Welcome to the show, everyone. Welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast, everyone, and the Behind the Lens series. Uh, really excited to do this show today because I've got uh, Volume 5, Modern Huntsman, in front of me, and i am pretty much opened the book to the, the center, uh, page 158-159, and I'm looking at the most stunning uh, map that i've possibly ever seen when i saw this uh, i immediately said to tyler i need one of scotland uh, so i'm going to hand over to tyler who's also on this call here editor in chief modern <laughs> huntsman to do to do the intro uh before we get to the the
1: people behind this map tyler how did this come to being sure well byron i think that you know um, among many other pursuits in life you and i are both map geeks absolutely and i was in I was in South Carolina at um a place called Palmetto Bluff. Is that right, Travis? Is it South Carolina? It's kind of around the border of Georgia. And mm-hmm.
2: uh yeah. okay.
1: and it's kind of a private sporting club and and uh, nature preserve and thing like that. And and they had this uh event called Field and Fire, and they had a bunch of different vendors and artists and and local crafts craftsmen and craftswomen and all that kind of stuff. And um Travis was there from New World Cartography. And I started looking over these maps, which are just beautifully and intricate, intricately hand-drawn and colored. And um, and we just started talking and I had my camera with me and he kind of asked me what I do. And I said, oh, well, I run um, you know, a publication in a media company. He's like, well, what's that called? I said, Modern Huntsman. He goes, no way. I've been a subscriber since the Kickstarter. <laughs> That's amazing. So- <laughs> So we, we, we hit it off immediately and obviously, you know, he was familiar with everything we're doing. And, uh, and so we just started to dive into some of the maps that he had there. one was uh, all the waterfowl species of the United States. One was upland uh, bird species, and then they had some for different oyster locations and things. And so anyways, I just, of course, uh, was, was enamored and, and immediately was like, well, do you guys do custom commissions? and this was back in February, early February, I think. And so it was just in time basically for volume five for us to be able to kind of start this conversation about what a custom map would look like for the traditions issue. And, um, and then it just kind of went from there. And so, you know, now in volume five, you're, you're seeing the final results of our, our collaboration and, um, we've got some exciting stuff coming down the line with, uh, prints of this and the original and all of that. But, um, yeah, really, really excited to to release this pretty soon.
0: So, Travis, tell me the backstory behind New World Cartography. So, how how did that start? It's a it's such a niche business, and and, and I like Tyler said, I I freaking love maps. I've got maps from like 1910 and the, uh, the late 1800s in my house. I've got maps on my walls, and I've got loads of maps uh, folded up and, and in my bookcase. But cartography it feels like a skill set that kind of died out with digitization. Yet we're looking at something here, which is definitely art, but it's also functional.
2: It is. Yeah. And I um, uh, thanks for having us, Byron and, and Tyler. And and I, I'll i preface this conversation with that. Uh, I don't ascribe to other people personal beliefs except for one. And that is everybody loves maps. I've never met anybody <laughs> that doesn't really love maps. Um, so the origin of New World Cartography actually came of um, forestry and wildlife management. I um, professionally am a a wildlife biologist. I went to the University of Georgia from undergrad and then Auburn University for my master's and for my PhD where I worked on wood ducks and northern boblites respectively. And in those eight years in graduate school, um, I of course used GIS, Geographic Information Systems. And we were working on birds where we had radio transmitters on them and tracking them across the landscape. So we needed a spatial, uh, spatially explicit analytical system to figure out what's the home range of a wood duck? What are the habitats that these quail are using? Those sorts of spatial notions. So I was, used GIS a great deal. Um, I finished graduate school in 2006 and I came back to uh, Green Pond, South Carolina, which is where I was born and raised. Uh, Green Pond is just between Charleston and Savannah on the lower South Carolina coast. It's a an area called the Ace Basin, which is, stands, that acronym stands for the, the Ashapoo, Cumbie, and the Edisto Rivers. These three rivers that all come into St. Helena Sound, and um, it's an area of tremendous conservation for the last 30-plus years. There are hundreds of thousands of acres, both that are owned by the federal government and state government, but also private landowners that are all managed for wildlife. I tell you all that because my father um, was and still is a forester and a wildlife biologist. And in the early 80s, he started our, uh, our company, Folk Land Management, And uh, we primarily work on private properties um, for private landowners that are trying to manage not just for um, game species like waterfowl, turkeys, quail, deer, uh, but really, the you know, many of these landowners have a conservation ethic, so they want to manage for a lot of different species. So if you think about the 1980s, 1990s, if you're trying to manage land, uh, you don't have computers. You don't have GIS. And so my father had this old, crusty uh, f- uh, forester, uh, Henry Salts. He was former Marine. And I tell you that he was crusty and a <laughs> great guy, but somewhat curmudgeonly, because he hand-drew all of the maps. Wow. And so when we would start working on property, he would draw the entire property, and he whenever you do that, if you have a map of the entire property, you would take one copy of it and and add some decorative elements, maybe some sketches of cypress trees or uh, wood ducks or things like that, and give it to the owner. And they would put it either in the gun room or somewhere in the the main house on the property. So when I come back from graduate school in 2006, um, Henry unfortunately passed away in the late 90s. Um, And so, but we had these drawers full of these hand-drawn maps of all these properties through South Carolina primarily, but some in Georgia and North Carolina. And so you can imagine the contrast if I'm working on a uh, a property, um, I'm preparing a timber sale, let's say, for example, I produce an eight and a half by 11 GIS map. We're going to harvest trees and this many acres. And then for uh, just as a comparison, I go look at the 1985 hand-drawn map that Henry did, uh, and there's no comparison um, the the a computer cannot produce something that has the aesthetic appeal uh, that a hand drawn element can, and it's as simple as this as a line. You lay two lines on a sheet of paper, one derived from a GIS or a computer, and one hand drawn. You can pick up the difference, and it really. And then you imagine all of the other decorative elements on a map. That hand drawn aspect really creates something that's both informative, spatially accurate, but also beautiful. So I, I was working in folk land management, and I still do that today. And this kept nagging me because I, like you, Byron, had a wall full of maps. And I said, I wonder if anybody's doing traditional cartography. And um, I looked on the Internet, Googled around, and I couldn't find anybody. And so I said, well, nobody's doing it. Maybe I should do it. And so about that, that time, I was lucky enough to meet Tony, Tony Waters, who's from Charleston, um, and we uh, we started off with New York cartography. And I'll let
3: Tony give you a little background on mm-hmm. how he came to to the project. At the time I met Byron, I was working with an architectural firm, and one of the architects was a mutual friend of both of us. And when she had Byron, uh, Byron <laughs> Travis's <laughs> information um, and what he was wanting to do, then she's I have somebody we just hit it off from the, from the first. So, and I've always liked to draw um, as as long as I could hold a pencil. I like doing doodles and drawings. And then, um, my aunt enrolled me in a, with a, with a lady teaching art and what was good about her is she didn't try to teach us how to draw like herself, but to develop our own style. And, um, so, so that was nice. And in the classroom, we'd have it was several kids from I was about age 10 on up to high school age, so we could interchange ideas that way too. So that was that was interesting. And then when I went to college, which was Furman University, it's a smaller college in upstate South Carolina. And then I had my classical um studies in art there too, and then just kept on going. And I liked drawing everything. I tried uh, portraits of people, portraits of dogs, landscapes. I like watercolor, oil paints, uh, pastels, not so much. They were so messy, but, um, and and just even black and white ink drawings. So, um, So I just did a little bit of everything. And I even had some things in a gallery in Charleston, where I live, and they weren't selling very well. And the owner of that told me, well, you're too diverse. You don't have a, st- a style that kind of locks you in and people are looking for, I want to see some more pictures that look the same as the other ones. And that just wasn't my style. So I just kind of took things out of the gallery and then just would do commissions for people I knew. And then, um, then I settled on the maps. And that's been one of the most enjoyable one, ones that I've done. So.
2: And we've been working together now for, I guess, going on four years
3: that's amazing i i
0: love the fact that it has this at the sort of foundation level it has a, a very solid scientific purpose and yet you've managed to blend that with uh the the aesthetics of art tyler what was the the remit that you gave the guys to to go forth and produce this uh american sporting tradition map
1: Sure I mean there really there really wasn't a whole lot of direction right when I saw the maps for the first time, I said, "I want this, but how do we do it for for you know for modern huntsmen and I think that it was just perfect timing with the issue of traditions right, and especially you know we obviously we can't do a global traditions map that that would have been uh wall sized so we decided to focus on North America right, and some of the things like You know, quail hunting in the southeast and, you know, elk hunting in in the mountain west and, uh, you know, mule deer and whitetail and things like that. So we kind of originally pulled from some of the story topics in the book, but then we also wanted to kind of evoke that old outdoor life, you know, 1940s, 1950s plaid jackets and, you know, moose in the north woods and, you know, that kind of feeling. And so I really just kind of threw out some ideas of, hey, these are some topics. These are some um, animal species we're discussing. Let me know what you guys think. And and they came back. I mean, they're such pros. They came back with this list. This is what we think. These should be, you know, the the vignettes. And When I say vignettes, when you you look at the map, there's these little hunting scenes where, you know, Tony illustrated and painted, um, you know, there's a, a setter. Uh, setter dog um, pointing with, uh, you know, a, a guy probably shooting a quail. There's wild turkey. There's redfish. Um, we've got, you know, fly fishing on the Yellowstone. Um, looks like a canoe in, in the north woods of Maine and, and American bison and things like that. So we really just wanted to kind of focus on what people would consider to be these these strong representations of American hunting traditions. And, uh, you know, and literally they they came. We kind of just decided on what those would be. And then they just went after it. And, and when I saw it for the first time, it just, yeah, blew me away. It's exactly what we were hoping for. So,
0: Travis, when someone comes to you with, with a commission like uh, like Tyler had, how, what is your sort of collaborative process like between yourself and, and, and Tony to work out what this is going to look like? Well,
2: first and foremost, it's an iterative process. Um, you know, um, a- Refer back to first statement, everybody loves maps. But then when you say it, and somebody says, well, I want a map, you, you know, our question to them is, okay, what do you want to look like? And they say, well, I'm not quite sure. So the iterativeness is, you know, let's first talk about, obviously, size, what area you do you want to cover, and then drilling down into some of the details. You know, what do you want to express with this map? Not just, obviously, some of the spatial things, you know, we wanted you know the rivers, significant habitats across the United States. But then, what are some of the other things we want to adorn this map with? So it's a back and forth conversation. It's really one of the aspects that both Tony and I really enjoy with our clients is talking to them about what are your, what do you love, what do you, what are your passions, and let's reflect that in the map. And so that was, of course, we worked with uh, with Tyler and Tito. Um, and it was really we had several phone calls, multiple emails, kind of ideas going back and forth, so that we could build in our mind, Tony and I's mind, what they were expressing, and obviously what was going to be the focus and in, in, in real uh, theme of Volume Five, which was tradition. So, so it's a it's an iterative process, and it's a it's a fun process. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of some of the specific elements, I like um, you know, number of the maps um, we've done one of um, waterfowl of uh, the continental U.S. and the flyways. Another one of uh, upland game birds. Um, I'm lucky in that being a wildlife biologist and having worked with birds, um, you know, that kind of comes a second hat. You know, I know, I know what the tail of a ruddy duck will it needs to look like in comparison to a canvasback, or those sorts of small details, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, zoological details are are fun for me. Uh, of course, I've got plenty of field guides, you know, that Tony and I pour over and look at, you know, details of feathers and horns and antlers. Because,
3: and uh, yeah, because talking with Travis about the animals and stuff, he's, he's the hunter and I'm not, but uh, he gives me all the details that I need and the pictures and everything to help me draw it. And when we first were working together, we would discuss colors for the water, colors for the land and however it should look. And then as we developed the maps over and over, it was more of a give and take from each one of us. And it becomes a real collaborative effort because I can say, well, why don't we try this color here? What if we try something just a little bit different? He's like, I'm all for it. I trust you. And so it's just a pleasure to work that way with somebody.
2: And and I'll also add one thing, you know, um, Byron, I've listened to a number of your podcasts and several of these behind the lens. I think you had a, one of the photographers for the um, previous uh, episode um, for the Texas fly fishing. And in much the same way, those, the photographers really think about the details and the essence of the photograph. The same goes with color in the map. You know, as, as folks, listeners, you know, look at this map, um, hopefully in volume five that they've, they've, they've just received in the mail, you know the blues are not by accident. The, the the greens are not by accident. So there's a lot of detail and thought and that goes into making those hues, colors, and textures just right.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm curious as to the uh, the technical process that you go through to produce this because actually drawing. A map to, if we we, we ignore the, the sort of the beautiful depictions of game around the map but drawing a, an actual functional map to uh, as itself to scale how on earth do you go about that
2: it's somewhat similar to the process of old and of course uh, uh, up until uh, in some point in the early 20th century the process that they would they would use is uh, they'd use wood blocks but more. Uh, more effectively and more commonly later on, copper plates, and they would etch the line work, the black line line work in text. and text in much the same way a printing press would work. they would ink that, they would stamp out on a sheet of paper the, the black lines and letters, and then hand apply the color. What we do is we use we will print off uh, an aerial photo um, of or a, a, what we call a base layer. And we use, uh, I use my computer to to design that, print it off on our large printer, so that then we can take a product called Mylar, and it's nothing more than just kind of heavy duty tracing paper. Um, we lay that on top of that base layer so that then we can hand draw everything. And it's for the, you know, for example, state boundaries, rivers, and the spatial things, it's obviously just a tracing process, making sure your everything is spatially accurate, not only the... You know the political boundaries, but the the, the curves of uh, the, the 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 edge of the ocean, things like that. Once we do that, so we do all of the ink work um, on that. We then have uh, will um, have that ink work printed on water cotton rag watercolor paper that has a clay lens right on top, and then we hand apply the coloration to that.
3: And then, and then the animals themselves, it's just. A ton of photographs that we go through and kind of uh, pick and choose, and just I just hand draw that on on the Mylar as well. That's not traced, it's just easier to draw it, but have something to go by, like a model drawing a model. So,
2: and part of the fun of um doing these maps is the research. I am, um, in addition to being a cardophile, I'm also a bibliophile, so I think Amazon delivers books to me just about every day, and so you know, like this map you know we're you know looking at um most of my hunting experiences in the eastern u.s so you know packing out elk in the mountain west isn't something i've ever done love to in the future but you know it gives us the chance to really dive deep into certain areas and and both visually photographs other paintings but also narrative text so we make sure we understand you know if we're going to draw one of the vignettes we understand
3: um Exactly, all of the elements that need to be there, and also the fun we have too is also with the compass and the north arrow. And trying to make each one look unique for each map, and that's when we ask the clients certain things that interest them, and so um, we get an idea of what I can add to the compass to enhance it or make it a little bit more more unique.
2: And I don't think, and I'm not sure Tyler even knows this, but on the the, the map we did for traditions for volume five. The compass here was modeled after the compass carried by Lewis and Clark what? during the expedition, um, which now I'm pretty sure either in the Library of Congress or the Smithsonian. Oh, yeah, that's, I can see that's amazing. I can see right yeah. now underneath
1: it says "Courtesy of Lewis and Clark." Underneath it, wow, that's really cool. I had no idea.
0: I love that attention yeah. to detail. And it's what a what an incredible process.
1: Yeah, Byron. What I was going to say um, is, you know, just just to create a little bit of. Uh, you know, anticipation, you know, we, we're actually going to, we have the original, right? So the hand inked and, and hand colored map that that we're going to uh, be releasing on the website here in the next few weeks, uh, as well as some hand colored versions where, as Travis said, the, the ink outlines will be printed on watercolor paper and Tony's going to hand color an additional number of them, right? I think we might do five or something like that. Right. And then we're going to have um, you know, I forget what the final size was, Travis, Twenty, twenty-two 22 by 19 or something.
2: Uh, uh, yeah. I think we're In the ballpark.
1: Yeah. Of an archival, archival prints of these maps. Right. So pretty close to 24 by 20, but I think we're only going to do a hundred of those. So, um, you know, that's something we've been working on. We're really excited to release that. And, uh, and, and so it's definitely, you know, something that it's going to come out pretty soon. So, listeners got to pay attention if they want to grab one cuz cuz there's just limited limited of them because it's so involved on on uh, Tony's part with with these artworks so i
0: i can see this being an incredible set of memories for expeditions or trips that you don't want to forget i can think of a couple in my mind that i've done in the past where i would love to have a map like this of the area that i'd been to with with these little memories dotted around it, that would that would be that would be so incredible. Maybe maybe that's something I need to get into the habit of doing for really important trips that I do around the world.
1: Yeah, I think and Byron, I think you need to think about what what a uh, an overarching map of Scotland looks like with both your personal favorite places, but also historically significant ones, so that you guys can uh, collaborate on a map of Scotland.
0: I think that sounds like a mighty fine idea. Uh, Tony, Travis, last uh, kind of question I wanted to to put to you guys before we bring this to a close is what is the, what is the craziest commission you guys have ever had? What, what's the, what is, what is the biggest map in existence that you've produced? If, if that is the, the thing that's been most complicated to put together?
2: Well, I'll, uh, I'll answer that with describing either ends of the spectrum. Um, <laughs> we did, uh, of course, Craft brewing for beers in the United States, and especially here in Charleston, is really booming right now. And there are a group of brewers in downtown Charleston that have created uh, the brewing district. And uh, they all came together to produce one beer. And they contacted us and wanted a map of downtown Charleston with all the different breweries on it. And that map was about three inches by five inches. <laughs> um, so quite small. It's on, uh, on the front of a beer can and beer bottle. And uh, it's kind of cool to go to my my local uh, grocery store and grab my beer with my map on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the smallest one. And, and that one was fun. I got a couple of uh, free six packs of beer out of it, <laughs> uh, but probably the largest one. And, and the one that that we drew at, at scale was one we finished last summer. It was for a group called the Port Royal Sound Foundation, which is a nonprofit that focuses on uh, water quality and education uh, uh, in the Port Royal Sound el- area, which is right there around Hilton Head, just between Charleston and Savannah. And they have a, a museum, natural history museum, and they had a large wall. And when I first met with them, they said, we want a map that covers the coast of South Carolina, go. And uh, what we, again, going through that iterative process with uh, the executive director and one of their board members, we settled on a map that we drew 100% to scale, and it was 9 feet tall and 14 feet wide. And so that was... Technically, one of the most challenging, one of the most rewarding
3: maps, and obviously the largest map we've ever done. So, that was, yeah. that one was a lot of fun. We had to do it in strips of three feet by nine feet because that's all the room I had on my dining room table to draw it and color it. So, that was quite a challenge, but it was so amazing to see it in person all pieced together and hanging on that wall. And I kept forgetting that I had drawn it to scale and not, it wasn't blown up from a smaller drawing. But, so that was a huge success.
0: <laughs> Incredible. For me, there there is something about maps that uh, particularly old maps, but I mean all maps have this to some extent that kind of stirs up uh, this very deep soulful emotion to explore. Uh, And I think all of us having this conversation on this podcast today share that. And I I pity anybody that doesn't know what I'm talking about, (laughs) because it is uh, it is such a big part of who I am is to being able to look at maps and just wonder what is there to have my feet on the ground where this this map is sort of laying out these potential paths for exploration but it's been fantastic to have you all on the show today uh and what a what an insightful discussion and i I can't wait for people to to see this for the for themselves and you know what you you have to see it printed on paper just seeing a digital version of it absolutely does not do it justice Uh, and i will put the links to both uh, Modern Huntsman Volume 5 where you can buy that and also to New World Cartography in the show notes so that people can go over and uh, check check you guys out and, and have a look at the work but thanks for taking the time to have a conversation with me today I've really thoroughly enjoyed it
3: oh so did I and... <laughs> thank you Byron I <laughs> yeah. appreciate it thanks
0: very much for listening join me again next week when we take another walk into the wilderness